Transit Voices with Ben Whitaker. Welcome to Transit Voices for April with Dal Kalirai from National Express. Her career has spanned from the 90s in transit where, after no innovation at all from paper passes for years, finally in 2016 they put in mobile ticketing and started expanding on that and then they've even delivered capped contactless EMV, which has delivered increases in ridership as people have got more comfortable with how the pricing of tickets run and the ease of quick boarding. However, they also showed how they could use an off-the-shelf transit ticketing platform and then expand it using the APIs themselves. So they created a brand new concession program that's had an impact on the universities and colleges in the area that has mean every single college wants to be using their platform and moving their students onto public transit. Also, we're going to hear about her work with women in transport and why that's so important and the impact that's had to their works. Anyway, let's get speaking with Dal Kalirai. Now, let's get talking. Welcome to Transit Voices. And this week, we've got a wonderful guest on, Dal Kalirai from National Express, one of Masabi's customers, I will admit, and someone who has been just an amazing advocate and operator, not only in the transit agency that she works in, but also much wider than that for women in transit. Dal, before we get into the chat, it'd be great to understand how you got into the world of transit in the first place, as well as the things you get involved with at National Express. Thank you, Ben. So by accident, I started my career way back when. I left my role at one of the local authorities and moved into transport, not necessarily for transport, it was mainly following the career path that I'd chosen at the time. And this was over 30 years ago in the early 90s found myself working at West Midlands Travel Limited, as it was then, in an internal audit role and started working my way through middle management and then find myself looking after the department that's selling to customers. At the time, we were selling travel card products, which were paper tickets with a plastic identity card. And you had to have the photo card match the transit ticket piece to show to the driver. And we had an agency network. We had over 400 agents selling these paper tickets taking multiple millions of pounds all in cash through an agency network so they could flash them to the driver. Now, the impact of that is clearly, yes, we were retailing a lot, but we didn't know anything about our customers because it was all anonymous. We didn't have the data. We didn't know who the customer holding and owning that pass was, bar from their photo ID card, which generally wasn't useful at all in terms of creating a conversation with your customer. And this had gone on for decades, particularly in bus transport. Technology didn't really move at a pace. Like I say, I was there from the early 90s and it was 2016 when we moved into the M-ticketing digital space. So all of that time we were retailing quite well, but it was very much customers will need to use the bus. Customers will come to us anyway. We were a large operator in the West Midlands boundary And pretty much people had to use our services if they wanted to travel by bus. That was the kind of perception and attitude at the time. And then as I started to work in the ticketing space, that ability to influence your customer and make it a good experience and take out some of the barriers. So if someone boarded a bus, exact fare policy, you had to have exactly the fare that you you knew the driver wasn't going to give you change. So you had to know what ticket you needed, know that you'd got the right currency in your pocket, 
or that you weren't going to get any change. And that's how you boarded a bus. And so there are lots of reasons why we would want to change. And the radical change, when I think about that now to what it used to be, is immense. And the pace at change is absolutely immense. So for years, we did nothing other than sit and wait for customers to come to us, providing them with the same type of ticketing experience that we'd had for years, all legacy technology. And then we strike up a relationship with Masabi and look at a, a particular use case. So this was interesting in, in many ways, the use case scenario. So I remember at the time I went to my commercial director with a business case saying, we want to trial M tickets, mobile tickets. It was becoming popular, but not mainstream. So we were early adopters of an M ticket, built a business case, worked with Masabi to look at which target audience do we go for? Students, mobile phones, it kind of sat right with students in terms of adoption. The timing of it was at the new academic year. So we were in the run-up to a new academic year, we just wanted to try it, see how it went, see if it was something worth pursuing at the time. No big ambition, just is it something worth pursuing? My commercial director at the time said, no, it's not something we want to do. We're quite happy doing paper tickets. This technology, it's going to be a distraction. Remind me which year this was? 2016. 2016, <laughs> we're not interested in technology. We're not, absolutely, yeah. at that point. And this is, some of this is a, a bus operator mentality as well. We are all about driving buses, the engineering aspects of vehicles. So we get a bus on the road, job done. Passengers will come, passengers will go. Yeah, but it's that almost no. a monopoly feeling. Literally, Absolutely. people have no choice. So however <clears throat> yeah. awkward we make it for them, they're going to do it. And this they're is the attitude we this saw 15 it. years ago in parking, which was, they yeah. said, people have to park. It doesn't matter how annoying we make it that you in central London have to go to a convenience store and change a £20 note yeah. into coins to park. People are going to do it. The thing that really struck me about a recent post on LinkedIn from a transit person surrounded by a network of transit advocates and transit lovers was saying, what is it that most makes you not ride the bus? And one of the things that came out was it's really intimidating if you don't know how it's done in that area, especially in the United Kingdom, where there's an exact change policy, where if you turn up and try and pay without the exact change, it's like you've put something dirty down. You receive a almost a feeling of animosity of how dare you slow everyone down by trying to pay without exact change. And it's like, how would I know? How would I know what the ticketing is? How do I know what the exact change is? It's most bizarre now when you think back and you think, well, how did we used to think? The customer was never really at the heart of it. It was all about the operation and getting the vehicle on the road. Whereas the beauty of bus travel should be You don't have to think about it. You don't have to plan and prepare because everything you need is in your pocket. You know what time the bus is going to arrive. You know what your fare is going to be. And you trust the operator is going to charge you the right fare. So you can just tap your card and board the vehicle and know that you're going to be charged the the correct fare and that if you travel several times in the day, you're going to cap out at the right fare. That's what good looks like for a customer. And that's what we were from the bumpy start of, no, not this technology, we're all right as we are, to, okay, then let's try it. So we tried it. It went from strength to strength and more products on the app. And as we started moving to that digital space, we started to rethink the rest of our retail landscape. Yeah, just to be clear, because I think we skipped over it, the 
the student offering here wasn't just yes. a case of saying mobile ticketing is for students. They like phones. We'll just target yes. them. Yeah. It was actually to do with a concessionary pass program, wasn't it? Originally, we trialled the app and it was successful. And then the floodgates opened with, well, how can we make more of this technology and the app? So we were selling in bulk to colleges anyway, but it was paper tickets. There was a whole ecosystem around the logistics at the start of a term. The college would have to man up and they'd have several workstations all issuing paper tickets at that one point in time of enrolment. And we were like, well, how do we reduce some of this effort that goes into issuing a, what's fundamentally a bus ticket to travel on a bus? So that's when we started working with you guys to look at the APIs that we could use and get the college portal, in essence, that then delivered by the API straight to the app. And so the issuing of a bus pass became effortless. It became seamless. The college was in control of who they were issuing to. There was none of these mass amount of paper tickets that we had to cut photos out and stick them onto ID cards. None of that was happening. And it was just revolutionary in that space, which meant that we could focus on helping the college issue more products to more students to help them travel to and from universities and colleges. And that became the output and the desired outcome of that technology advance. It was around making it sexier for people to get bus passes. It was around reducing the effort and the friction in getting that bus pass so that the college could focus more on issuing more of them to more students so that they could get to their studies and go to college and attend the classes that they needed to. And then the colleges got clever at it as well in that they started to then use the bus pass as a lever for students to attend college. So if their attendance fell down below a particular level, they'd stop their bus pass. Oh, brilliant. Their tool in their armory, they stopped the bus pass and it was just a pause It wasn't withdrawing it, no big, massive effort. It was just pause their bus pass. And then you'd find that they started to attend again because it wasn't just getting them to school and college. It was actually facilitating a lifestyle. They'd go out in the evenings. They'd be out shopping at the weekends and all sorts using their bus pass. So it became part of their life, really, and their their social life. That is a wonderful, wonderful nudge. That's like... Just withholding the yeah. validity of that, which you could never do with a with a you paper couldn't. pass. No, really easy there to just tie the attendance, and then that was all done digitally. So they had a back office where they could just yeah. log in and temporarily pause, pause the, the pass, pass and then yeah. turn it back on again, just to encourage a bit and more it was attendance. Completely in their control. So the colleges found that they could control this themselves. So there was no, oh, we were going to get in touch with the bus company because we don't want Joe Bloggs traveling by bus because he hasn't attended this week. They were in control of that. And so that particular case study for colleges, we went from having a handful of colleges that bought from us in that way to all of the colleges in the West Midlands now buy that way. That's probably one of the big call-out success stories of making it easy for the customer. And so in this case, the colleges were our customer, the end users were the student, and then both organisations benefited from that in terms of we had more colleges, colleges were coming to us for solutions and enhancements in the solution. So then they wanted reporting, well, how many issues, how many journeys have they made on their bus pass? And now it's gone to the point where because of the clean air agenda and the green sustainable travel angle that everybody is working towards now with the net zero carbon, they want to know 
how much carbon footprint have they saved by having all of these bus journeys and not car journeys? That's kind of incredible. From having, you what know, I've loved about this as well foot. is that National Express were real kind of trendsetters, but, but blazing a trail where a lot of this hadn't been done no. before. National Express saw that they had a ticketing platform for mobile ticketing and it had all sorts of mm -hmm. other features, but it didn't do these things that you wanted. And you didn't have to go back out to a whole RFP and get a whole system changed. You were able to just say, show me what APIs there are and what data feeds we've got. And you used your own IT capabilities yeah. to take those APIs and make it fit for the purpose you wanted and then extended it to add extra value to the colleges so that they could self-manage and self-maintain yeah. it. It didn't become an overhead for you. And you did all of that on the back of the APIs. And yeah. that's... Absolutely. Incredible. Off the back of that small trial that we eventually pushed through, through various elevator conversations with MDs, it enabled us to have the confidence then to drive the business case and drive this, the kind of the sales agenda and the customer agenda and focus very much on removing barriers throughout the journey. So whether that's from buying a ticket to looking up fares, to actually going on board a vehicle, and just that whole ecosystem of enabling some of our partners to deliver for their end user, their customer. So that element of it has gone from strength to strength. We deal with NHS. So a lot of the, particularly during COVID and post-COVID, so you've got a lot of key workers still needing to travel. People were wary of having plastic cards in case there was COVID on the card, but being able to just transact with the validator, have an app that they'd already got in their pocket and was enabling them to travel, meant that we could carry on selling in that way. It just meant that more people were gravitating towards the digital technology because it was easier. They'd gotten used to QR codes and just being able to engage digitally. So when we had all our contactless solution launched in 2017, and it was a tap and cap solution. It was a quicker, faster boarding experience. It was a flat fare. So they tap once, they pay the single, tap twice, it caps out at the day saver rate, tap as many times as they like in the day and they don't pay any more than the, the day saver rate. So we'd got that launched in 2017. And during lockdown, we migrated that to expand it to include a three-day cap, non-consecutive. So any day of the week, Three days, you cap out at a three-day rate of £11 at the time and carry on travelling in the week and you'll cap out at a weekly. So by day four, you could have capped out at your weekly and then every other journey that you make after that is free. I found there's, there's a huge difference in contactless EMV adoption, depending on how far down that route you go to the point where the customer can trust that yeah. using contactless won't mean they're spending more money. Yeah. We saw that some of the US towns have done the not just the retail model of slowly having to talk to the driver and get the mm. original price, but they do the one tap is one price. And therefore, yeah. if you're doing several journeys, it's far more expensive to use the contactless yeah. than it is to do something old fashioned with money. And those have been very low adoption. And mm. they've said, ah, oh, contactless is pointless. You know, it's not like Europe, people don't use it so much. It's like, You've literally made it more expensive yeah. and you're surprised that people, especially your regular riders, don't flock to it. Can, can you tell me a bit about the adoption once you'd done the capping? It's all about trust. Our daily cap, customers were using it very confidently. Ridership was up. 
They were confident in that daily cap. The technology just worked. They'd see on their bank statement, they'd see that they'd capped out to the day rate and they'd made far more journeys than they'd anticipated before. And you actually saw people were traveling more because it was easy to yeah. use the phone. They could use Apple Pay, Android Pay. They could use their credit. Debit this, card. this is exactly what Oyster found. So when Oyster moved to, instead of a pre-selection world where you would buy a day pass or buy a few singles or buy a carne, and they switched to capping. And I speak to a, lo- a number of agencies who are very concerned that if they move to capping, they're immediately going to suffer a revenue loss because there are a load of people yeah. who overbuy a pass, thinking they're going to do several journeys and then don't, or underbuy singles and then end up having to buy more singles later in the day. And that that sort of game where the rider is resentful in both scenarios. They're resentful that they've had to either buy extra singles or they're resentful that they bought a day pass and underused it. And that just really <coughs> is annoying. And the opposite thing happens. You know, you, you think immediately you, you you lose out on some of that inflated revenue of customers buying the wrong product, which is a, a dreadful incentive for a business to ever have. Yeah. You find exactly as you said, because you trust it, the moment you're capped, you just start using it more. So yeah. what would you say to agencies who are worried about capping losing revenue? As long as your solution works and it works well, capping is the way to go because it's all about customer confidence. And in our experience, ridership has increased and people don't even look. We've got customers that don't even check their bank statements anymore. The level of customers coming to us saying, oh, you've overcharged is next to nothing. The lovely thing is you could start foolishly thinking, what is the perfect mobile app experience? What are all the things a customer could want to know about their tickets and know about their transport and everything else? And that's almost the opposite of how most passengers start their day. You know, the amount of time they want to spend thinking about ticketing is zero seconds. Absolutely. Any additional second thinking about ticketing is stuff they don't want to do. So we're simplifying the user experience down to the point of just bip it and trust it. This gets us on to, I think, the next topic I'd really like to speak to you about, which is uh, your work with women in transport. I think specifically it's the West Midlands chapter that you... uh, Yes, so I got involved with women in transport about two years ago. Followed them on LinkedIn and various social media, but not actively involved in it. They were recruiting for a regional hub lead for the West Midlands. Uh, and to be on their board. And I was umming and ahhing, do I, don't I, have I got the time? We never think we've got the time to do anything extra than what we're doing today. And so I was having this conversation with my daughter and she goes, you'd be great at it, just do it, just apply. Don't." Work. And I was like, yeah, but they don't really want me, do they? And, you know, all of these kind of reasons why not. So I applied anyway. And then to my surprise, I got it, which was great. And it meant that I could actually put all of my years and years of experience in the transit sector to some use for the wider community. So, you know, just to get more youngsters involved in transport, more women involved in transport and kind of be that role model, be a mentor, shine a light on areas that I knew we needed to work on, like violence against women and girls. How do we make public transport safer? We all know that more women than men travel by bus. And the type of journey that they're making is different. It's not necessarily the commuting, it's caring, it's shopping, it's taking kids to school. It's all of those, plus probably commuting as well. They're catching more buses, their journeys are more complex. 
Yeah, in the evenings, you see that drop off. The perception is that buses aren't safe in the evenings. And why is that? Is it the lighting? Are we not providing them with the right level of confidence that it is safe to travel? And so tackling violence against women and girls is a key priority. of mine. I've got two daughters. They travel by bus. And as the evening approaches, you become anxious if they're not home. How are they going to get home? And you're kind of, you know, let me follow you on Uber. And you, you're being almost a paranoid parent, but it's because you see and you hear things that it isn't safe for you to travel. But that's the bit that I want to address. And that's the bit I want to influence. And the whole getting women, like-minded women together to influence those decisions and guide those decisions and almost through their lived experiences so that whatever technology we adopt, whatever solutions we put in place have been considered from the eyes of a woman, not necessarily from men trying to fix a problem that they think that exists for women. For us to influence it and the design of transport we need to be vocal and, and inside transport and influencing from within as well. So that is very important. So some of the things that we're doing with the hub is going out to schools and talking about our stories about what it's like working in transit, what other types of careers there are within transport. It's not always about being a bus driver or an engineer. There are loads of careers that you can have within transport, including technology and ticketing and all the rest of the good stuff. But equally, it's not bad being a driver and getting some women drivers to go out and talk to people about their experiences and how enriching it can be for them. There's lots of reasons why joining Women in Transport has been such a, an eye-opener for me, even getting involved in so much activity and influence. Even if you don't feel like you're influenced, just by having that airspace about talking about it, getting women together to have the conversation and then they have another conversation and it's just having a really good impact in the West Midlands and just getting key stakeholders like the decision makers, local authorities, the councillors that are in the, the various communities, getting them to sit up and take notice of the things that are important to women in the design of the roads, in design of landscapes of cities, in the routes that we operate. All of that is important and key to making a safe environment for women to confidently travel across our networks. Yeah, I'm delighted to hear that the schools and early outreaches there because that hits multiple points, both on the seeing and believing in using the public transport as well as seeing careers in it. Because yeah. You know, that, that shocking statistic, that, that's even borne out in the white van man, is no longer true. More than half of people driving likes goods vans and owning like goods vans are now women. They're the entrepreneurs. They're yeah. the people running owner-operator companies and things. They're the ones who are out doing. So the fact that women and women drivers are so underrepresented mm. in public transport is not suggestive of the fact that women aren't capable or wanting to do this. It's that there's clearly some sort of perception issue that's stopping them there coming is. in, where they are turning up in other industries doing the same style of work. Yeah, it's, that it's... perception piece is is a, a valid one because the perception of a bus driver and then the terms and conditions, the rotors that they put on, the shift patterns that they work, all of those things need to be addressed in terms of making it more of a suitable environment for women to work in. They'll have childcare issues, they'll have other caring concerns, so the, the shift patterns need to reflect that. 
toilet breaks, just practicalities, making sure that those facilities are available to women drivers. All of that's important. The bus industry at the moment, and I think wider industries also, have got a huge problem at the moment, driver recruitment. And we've been struggling that for the last two years as National Express. And the fewer drivers we have, the fewer buses we can have on the road, and it starts to impact then your service provision to the wider community. So it's a full vicious cycle in terms of if we're going to be more inclusive and more diverse as a sector, then we need to make changes that make women feel welcome in that sector. There's a multiple layered approach that's required to get that 20% number higher. It's a virtuous reinforcing circle because as you increase the level of female employee and increase their presence in the design phase, you also increase the feeling of safety and the usage of bus and public transport. And so it all just keeps feeding back in and you increase the number of drivers available to solve the driver's issue. It just keeps going round and round. And then there's no way you design a new bus not thinking about the important part of the Absolutely. workforce who's driving half the vehicles. Of course, you've got to make sure you've got seat adjustment and pedal adjustment to cope with different sized people. And it's not just women who have a different average height. You know, there are, you know, not everybody is the average size. Hugely complex, hugely rewarding when you get it right. Just getting your voice heard and being influential. I think that's kind of what my aspirations for the hub are is getting enough women that we've got enough of a force to make a change, a lasting change within the West Midlands, I think. I'm wary of time. It would be great to get your call out of a few things from the industry that you've picked up on. Uh, We'll start with your boondoggle of the industry. Whatever concept or idea that you think is stealing too much attention, too many pilots, too many budgets being spent on them, and it's not going to have the big impact that it's hyped to do. So what's the overhyped thing that you think should get back to the bench for a bit longer and we'll spend a bit less time on that you've seen? It's got to be a maz for me. Mobility as a service, I mean, why? Who on earth? And, And some of this has to do with the title as well. What does it even mean? It means different things to different people. Why do we need it? Is society ready for it? We spent, what, 18 months working on a MAS project with TFWM in the region. And when you look at, well, what's it going to achieve that we're not doing today? And are the customers of the West Midlands ready for a true MAS, which is your kind of, if someone gave you a definition of MAS, they'd be saying, okay, so you pay a subscription and you have all you can eat travel when you want it, how you want it, whatever day you want it. Do you know what? Is that really going to shift the dial of moving people out of their cars and onto public transport and onto bikes and scooters? I don't think it is. And there's a phenomenal amount of oxygen being spent talking about MAS. Nowhere has MAS been implemented and it's commercially viable. That's, I think, the key, which is... It's been given its pilots. It's had its pilots. It's even had pilots where government laws have been changed to force every mobility provider to integrate with the central MAS unicorn. And the usage of it has been disappointing and tiny. And really what they found was it was only a tiny percentage of, to be honest, quite affluent people who were able to overpay to the level that would make it work. And the moment you took away subsidy from it, the users yeah. disappeared. 
And yeah. so why, if the biggest pilots that have been run in the world with subsidy and with government laws behind them, if they failed, why are we spending more money on it? Why are we doing it again? <laughs> yeah. It should just yeah. go away for a bit. In a practical sense, what's it going to achieve that hasn't been done by other apps? providers where they have used the technology and the services that are available within whatever region and just collaborated and worked together so that it is all present in one space so it's convenient for the customer basically and just making things like payment a lot easier and removing all of those barriers doesn't that do what Maz you know is supposed yeah. to be what's well, your I, north star of Maz I find it really interesting that for the high income tech savvy banked individuals. Contactless EMV makes it so frictionless, I just tap around and it, it just sort of works. And yeah. the idea that I would want to not do that journey by tapping my bank card, but I actually want to register an account in a West Midlands app that I've downloaded yeah. that has been advertised to me to use instead of Google Maps. Transport for yeah. West Midlands was going to try and go head to head with the advertising might of Google, Apple, Uber, yeah. whoever else. And it's just like, Really? You're saying don't just tap my bank card, but actually dial in my entire journey, look at all the options, and then yeah. choose a product. And you're yeah. saying that is going to be better than just tapping my bank card. And it's almost, it's going in the exact opposite direction from easy payments this, on the vehicles. Yeah. It's just taking all the DFT funding to continue with these projects. And it's happening across the UK. It's not just in the West. It's UK. happening across the world. I mean, in yeah. Italy, they have just given a massive load of money to each city and region to make their own little mass thing. And so each city is reinventing the wheel. Each city then has their own mass thing that they not only have to care and feed and maintain and debug, but they have to advertise it. So when you go from one area to another, they're having to advertise it to you. So you use this instead of Google Maps. Then they're going to get you to sign up and put your payment details in and yada, yada, yada. I'm just going, why? Who needs what? this? And that's yeah. the question I keep asking is why? What is it that's missing that they don't have the capability of delivering today at a much lower cost and a much higher uptake and commercial case? Okay, brilliant. So we'll, we'll put Maz in room 101. Maz. So let's let's now talk about uh, your, your underdog, your unsung hero, the thing that should be given the oxygen that Maz has stolen. So which is your concept or idea that should get a bit more time? This is a, a women in transport contact of ours, Gillian Kowalchuk from Safe in the City. They're involving various consumer apps beyond just the booking and payment of technology. And it's about making that whole journey planning experience safer. So how can we develop things within the app that make it a lot safer and, and have things like SOS buttons, alert, just that whole journey planning piece with disruption information so that you are in control of the journey. You can alert people to where you are in that journey and that you're going to get safely at the other end. And they've got this i3 intelligence data tools that just pull in loads of data to give you that capability of making an app intuitively more safer. So it goes away from your general, what you'd expect from an app in a transit world of booking, planning, planning your trip and paying for your trip. It's more about that whole experience whilst you're in the middle of your trip and your journey and making that safer. That would be my underdog is that we need to do a lot more of that thinking. They might do well to have a chat with a, a group I, I met the other day who they're looking at EV charging safety. So the switch to EVs, especially mm. if you live in inner cities, 
is quite yeah. tough because if you live in an inner city, you probably don't have a detached house and a driveway. So you, you have to use more public charge points and the safety of a public charge point really varies. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming and uh, chatting with us today, Dal. It's been an eye-opener. It's been inspiring. And I'm delighted to hear all the work you're doing with Women in Transport for the uh, West Midlands and and wider. And I hope more people get to meet with your representatives and see those stories, see those tales and are able to imprint those, especially early in their careers. I think that can make a a huge difference to people in terms of their trajectory and, and getting them into the industry because we are underrepresented compared to almost all other industries. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Okay, cheers. Thank you so much to Dal for speaking with us today. A number of really important points came out of that. From the first thing, it's getting a real sense that she saw that bus operators were behaving like parking operators, like they have a monopoly that people just have to put up with whatever difficulties we throw in their way in terms of them having to know what the prices are in advance, have exact change, have to know exactly what the ticketing options are, and it's almost like a trap. And everything we're doing with new technology around capping and around mobile apps is to try and make that easier for the passengers. And we really need to try and help more bus operators understand that Capping is not going to reduce their revenue. It's going to increase their ridership. So the more we can get that message out, the better to reduce the intimidation of trying to get new riders onto the bus. Also, the fantastic things they did with allowing colleges to pause the passes of students, which was encouraging them to improve their attendance at college. Fantastic nudges, fantastic uses of digital ticketing to deliver more, but also Great to hear the impact of women in transit and trying to raise those issues around safety and design to make it better for people to use at night. What we can do in the apps to make it easier for friends to follow your journey and make you feel safer at night. What we can do with the design of buses to make multi-point journeys and more kind of utility-based travel easier on buses for people who have more objects to carry. We really need to bear that in mind. Also, in terms of boondoggle and underdog, Dal joins a long list of people putting mass in Room 101. That it's just too much money for too little impact compared to what we should be doing in terms of safety for women, what we should be doing in terms of getting more drivers involved, and what we should be doing to remove the intimidation of difficult old-fashioned payments. So let's see what we can do to get more out of our investment and innovation than just another mass pilot. Okay. Do tune in next month. One of the things we recommend is subscribe so that you don't miss another episode of Transit Voices. You've listened to Transit Voices, the podcast by transit nerds for transit nerds. Don't forget to subscribe to Transit Voices to keep up with the latest additions on your favorite podcast platform.